You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 87, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking about grief and loss during the pandemic, including the many kinds of loss that so many of us have experienced and are experiencing, some of the ways in which we tend to cope with it, and some suggestions for dealing with loss, including some suggestions for how to deal with it and perhaps how not to deal with it using technology. And as always, you can head on over to our website at technologyformindfulness.com for free information and tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative, and happy using technology, and sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find, balance, and manage your technology use with mindfulness. And now, back to today's episode. During this pandemic, we've, of course, all experienced massive disruptions to our daily lives. In addition to that, though, I think that so much of what we've experienced could be thought of as different kinds of loss. And there's so many of them. I'm going to describe just a few, and you listening may have experienced some of these and perhaps have experienced others that I won't even list here. So one is loss of a loved one directly due to COVID-19. Given the numbers, if you're listening to this, you may have experienced that loss or know someone close to you who has. Of course, in many ways, the pandemic has affected even how that loss occurs. So many people have lost loved ones without the ability to see them or with very limited ability to see them in their in their last days. Loss in the ability to grieve with others or having direct contact with others, uh, to have services. So many ways in which the pandemic has affected and made more difficult that experience, even beyond uh, how difficult it would be under normal circumstances. There's loss of a job. We know that this pandemic is having devastating economic consequences that, depending on where you're living, may be lasting much longer than you had expected and that many people expected. So whether you've lost a job directly or only had a reduction in income or increased insecurity in your income or job or business, Perhaps you've had to shut a business down and then reopen it and then shut it down again. So in addition to just the economic loss, that creates a tremendous amount of anxiety, ongoing anxiety, which continues to this day with all of the uncertainty about whether and for how long that is going to continue. There might be a loss of a relationship or friendship for many reasons that could be related to the pandemic, could be increased stress uh, related to the pandemic, could be distance, all kinds of ways in which the pandemic may have uh, exacerbated troubles with relationships, or perhaps even whether it caused them to come to an end or played a role in those relationships coming to an end, or suffering some other kind of serious negative consequence. 
general loss of freedom is very, very widespread, whether it is, uh, I know it's very controversial, many of the restrictions imposed by governments and employers, but many of us are choosing to impose restrictions on ourselves, regardless of what the government is doing, just out of our own judgment about what's best for our own health and safety. And that can feel like and be a loss of freedom, even if we choose to engage in it. it. It's a loss of freedom in the sense that we are living in a situation in which there are options that were open to us before that aren't open now. So again, even if, uh, and I do this frequently, is I make choices not to engage in certain types of activities. No one's forcing me to do that, but I'm choosing to do it. And it can feel like a loss of freedom as a result because of just having fewer available options. And that is not a good feeling and can have all kinds of challenging side effects. General loss of connection with people because of the difficulty of being together physically, whether that be in the workplace, whether that be with family with friends, on sports teams, or in uh, religious places of worship, with any person or group of people who you previously got together with, lived with, traveled with, together, physically, you probably now are either not doing that or doing that in a much more limited way. And that obviously can be and feel like a loss of connection with other people. Yet another loss, and I'll stop here because there's just so many examples of loss. And again, you may have experienced or be experiencing uh, others in addition to what I've described here, is a loss of privacy or balance between privacy and a feeling of being in public with other people. What do I mean by that? An example would be uh, so many people who used to work in an office or working at home, other family members are at home. And despite all of the ways in which that can be a silver lining on all of this, can also be challenging and in part be and feel like a loss of some privacy that you had before. And even if you don't think of it as a loss of privacy, might be loss of some separate space, physical or mental for work, a loss of some separation between work and home that you previously felt facilitated your work and also facilitated your relationships at home. And that loss of those kinds of boundaries or transitions can have negative impacts on both work and home and on other aspects of your life as a result of which you're now being at home more uh, whether that is working or just, just being at home with children, engaging in remote schooling at home, for example, all of that can be and feel like a loss in many ways. And in response to these losses, we can all feel all kinds of painful, difficult emotions and sometimes respond to them in habitual ways that may not necessarily be the healthiest for us. Of course, on this podcast and on our website, the ones we talk about most often and that 
very relevant in this situation are uh, digital distractions, turning to social media, video games, uh, videos, all kinds of things online to deal with in our own way, or let's say in response to having these painful feelings. And of course, anything done mindfully and in balance and in moderation can be helpful in some ways. The problem, of course, arises when any of these activities is done reactively, without thought, without engaging in a mindful discernment, and particularly if it's done to such an extent that it veers towards or becomes addictive, by which I generally mean is done habitually in ways and to an extent that have harmful physical and or mental consequences on you, that if they impede on your ability to function, to do your work, to engage with family members, if they have other, if these uh, activities have other harmful negative consequences on you, then, then that's a sign that they may be veering towards or becoming addictive or just otherwise harmful to you. And we know that this can spring from aversion to the feelings we're feeling, by which I mean some effort consciously or often unconsciously to avoid feeling or sitting with or being present with those difficult feelings that result from all of these losses. Feelings often being sadness, fear, which can take the form of anxiety, a kind of fear, anger. If you feel these kinds of feelings and have a hard time or don't have the capacity to be with those feelings and process them in a healthy way, you might have, and this is so common for all of us, habitual patterns of reacting to those feelings in order to avoid, run away from them by engaging in other activities of the kinds I described. It could be, uh, I meant, I didn't even mention watching television, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but doing it excessively or mindlessly in an effort to escape your feelings, particularly if it's done excessively, that's when that can become a problem. And there are so many ways in which if we don't have the resources to attend to these feelings, they can cause some real harm to us. I mentioned avoiding them by turning to other things. Another is that if we don't avoid them, but don't have the resources to to process them, be with them, attend to them in ways that are healthy, they can spiral and start to overwhelm us. And that can uh, take the form of panic attacks or other forms of anxiety, which again can, can have really harmful negative consequences. And then one of them could be to then deal in in aversive avoidant type of behavior after we've been overwhelmed. But you can, you can engage in avoidant behavior, turning to distractions, even at the onset of a feeling before it really, really starts to overwhelm you. So I won't go into all of this. I just hope maybe you can relate to some of these things in yourself or in people around you. And of course, you know, from this podcast, on our website, and from from any other mindfulness resources that you turn to, that 
one benefit of practicing mindfulness is that you practice and can learn to notice not only your feelings, but notice your own habits, aversion to those feelings. And you can start to observe and notice and learn about what your habitual reactive patterns are in response to the aversion, what kinds of things you tend to do in order to avoid, let's say, being with feelings resulting from loss. And as you practice mindfulness, you can start to notice these urges or tendencies. There's a feeling of a pull to do something like check Facebook, you know, using the technology example. And if you, if you learn to spot that early on, just see it as an urge, it's possible to learn to not automatically follow the urge and engage in that action of checking Facebook, but instead, for example, sit with the feeling and not necessarily act on it. So, you know, I encourage you to seek out through whatever resources you have, any resources that can help you learn mindfulness practices. And I have to say one silver lining of the pandemic, I'm not going to say that the pandemic was worth it for this, but it's that there has been just an explosion in online mindfulness resources. So many meditation centers and teachers have been putting courses, teachings online, in many cases for free or for low cost. And then there's all of the apps that we've talked about on this site, Insight Timer being one of them, Calm.com, Headspace, so many of them have significantly expanded their offerings, including having many that are specifically COVID-related. But in my view, you don't need to necessarily turn to a COVID-related meditation to get the benefits of mindfulness meditation. You can turn to a general mindfulness meditation that helps you learn uh, how to attend to your feelings. I know that Insight Timer is now also offering live courses, which I think is very cool. Previously, they were all recorded, and now they have live events, including not just meditation, but things like yoga classes for an hour that you can take online. And I'm sure that there are many other places offering that. So uh, just as much as technology can be something that we can turn to to distract us and that can become addictive and leave us feeling you know, empty afterwards, uh, many people are leveraging technology now to help others and to help each other stay connected. Um, I've been attending live group meditation sessions, which it's not possible to do in person now, but I've been doing them online. And they, the, the particular one I'm attending uh, wasn't online before. And there's many, many of these. So I think if you do a quick search, you can find some of these on your own. And I'd suggest searching for some who, that are in your own geographic area. It may seem strange to search for something in your own area if you're just going to be doing it online. But I found that if I know the people, either if I know them individually, that can help me feel more comfortable. Or if I just know they happen to be nearby, it helps me feel more connected with them. So let me just give a few more suggestions for things that we can all do to, to deal with loss in ways that I think is different from these kind of aversive ways. 
One is, of course, and I'm sure all of you are doing this, is to get together with people in person as much as you can in ways that are safe. You know, again, I know everyone is trying to do this and everyone's navigating it on their own in terms of uh, what people are comfortable with, uh, what feels safe, and everyone has their own preferences and comfort levels. But do it as much as you can, particularly if like, like me, you're in a, you're in a climate where it's going to start getting cold pretty soon and your options are going to be limited for getting together outdoors where it's safe, really savor this time. Related to that, in terms of the weather getting colder, think ahead and do what planning you can to help make it easier to be outside or gather with people when it does get cold. So what do I mean by that? I've spoken to a bunch of people who have gotten space heaters or patio heaters, those kinds of tall heaters that you often see at bars or restaurants outdoors. I know they're in very short supply now because everyone's been buying them up. But if you can grab some of those, I know someone, I spoke to someone recently who just said he ordered a few. They're on back order for like six weeks, but he feels like even if they arrive in late December or January, it's better than waiting until the spring. And so when they arrive, he'll be in New England and be able to heat his patio, which is a semi-outdoor space so that he can get together with friends semi-outdoors, you know, unless it's bitter, bitterly cold. So think about that. Do you need some better winter clothing to be able to meet outdoors with people? Do you need to scout out some places, places you can walk or hike or congregate outdoors when it's cold? It's going to be much easier to scout those places out and, and find them and be prepared for them when it's warmer, before the winter really sets in, uh, in, in full. So in general, brainstorm about ways in which you can get together with people physically as much as possible during the winter so that when the time comes, you're not scrambling, it'll reduce your anxiety, and you'll actually be able to get together with people more. Another related point, I'm sure you are all being on Zoom or FaceTime or, or Skype or whatever video conferencing, video calling service you need. And that is, of course, a suggestion. Most people have adapted to that now. But think about any people in your life who haven't. Uh, maybe they're elderly or maybe they're just not as technologically sophisticated. Have they not gotten set up to do easy video calls or video conferences? And can you help them out to do that now? Can you go meet with them, set up their device for them? And I say now, not just to give them more options for getting together now, but again, at least where I am in New England, it's not only getting colder, which is going to limit people's abilities to get together, but the numbers of the coronavirus are going up rapidly. And we might start seeing further lockdowns or restrictions in place, at which point it's going to be harder to do something like go to a family member or friend or neighbor's house and set up their device for them. And that would be a real gift to them if you could do that for them now. So think about who you know, maybe think about uh, nonprofit organizations 
you might be able to get in touch with to offer that service if you are a sophisticated tech person. You know, maybe there's ways in which you can help others get connected because we all know as much as we've all come to complain about Zoom, we know what a godsend it's been to be able to have face-to-face time with people, even if it's not in person. Personally, it's been a real lifesaver for me and I know for, for many people to be able to have it in light of the fact that we are so limited in our ability to get together in person. Again, I'm sure you are doing this next one, but engage in socially distanced walks, gatherings, get-togethers with people, and think about how you'll be able to continue doing that as the weather changes or as restrictions change. Are there spaces that you can find whether they are at your own homes or buildings or offices or community gathering areas, places of worship that will continue to be safe, maybe because they are outdoors or semi-outdoors, you know, a covered patio that has a screen so it still has enough airflow to be somewhat outdoors. You know, be creative about that. Are there spaces that are being unused that you could make use of or make available to others? Do you own a business that has such a space? Is it possible for you to make that space available to other people to use, maybe off business hours on the weekends or something? You know, we really need to be creative about finding ways in which we can get together with others in ways that are safe under the circumstances and make spaces available to other people. And some of those spaces might need some modifications to make them safer or more comfortable, you know, putting a covering, a tarp, an awning over something. And maybe that's something that can be done cheaply or minimal cost or as a group community effort in order to preserve and increase everyone's ability to have that really essential human contact with each other. And take advantage of it, you know, when the circumstances make it possible while you're anticipating a future time when it may not be possible or will be much more difficult. Then there, of course, you know, think about other ways in which you can use technology. So everyone's using Zoom. There are some services available now for doing things like watching movies sort of with other people. Amazon has this watch party where someone plays a movie on Amazon Prime, invites other people, and the other everyone can chat with each other in a text chat on the side of the window. Of course, not as fun as being together in the same room or seeing each other, but, you know, better than nothing. And I know that there are some plugins and services out there that enable you to watch a movie with friends online and see each other in a little, you know, little video window, much like a lot of uh, online gaming services allow you to do when you're playing video games. So check into those. These are just some examples of ways to try to be creative about how you can be more connected with each other, even when you can't be in the same physical space as each other. They're not ideal. I know they're not as good as being together in person, but this is the circumstance we're finding ourselves in where we have to make the best of a bad 
situation. I know when I did a podcast and webinar earlier in this year about adapting to working from home, one of the things I said is try to adopt the mindset in, in work of defaulting to video calls, where your habit might have been to call someone by phone. Why don't you think about, you know, unless there's a reason not to, when you have a work call, do it by video, do it by Zoom, do it by FaceTime, do it by Skype. Even if there's no specific business reason to do it, I found it helps me stay more connected with people, given the fact that I'm not seeing them in person. It's not a perfect substitute by any means, but I found it really helpful in, in maintaining that feeling of connection. So no reason why you can't do that in your personal life. Use FaceTime, use Google video calls. I only found recently Google Duo. Many of you may know about it, and I found it because it can work across uh, iPhone and, and um, iOS and Android devices to do video calls easily. Doesn't matter what the platform is that you use. See if you can get together that way. For those of us who play music, this has been a really challenging time. I did find a cloud-based software called Jam Kazam. I'm not promoting it in any way. I have no affiliation with them. But I have found that depending on your network connection and a bunch of other factors, you can actually use it to play music over the internet with other people in real time. It's quite amazing. And again, it, it, there's a lot of technical details and it took me and another techie person <laughs> quite a bit of effort to get it set up. So it may not be for the faint of heart, but if you're a musician who's just been struggling, finding it painful to not be able to get together in person with other musicians and play, I'd suggest checking out Jam Kazam and seeing if it is a solution that could work for you. You do need a high-speed internet connection. They recommend a wired, you know, ethernet connection, although I'll say I got it to work on a Wi-Fi. So it's not nece absolutely necessary. Uh, check out, you know, there may be other options out there for doing things like playing music uh, live in real time. My last suggestion although I've been giving a bunch now that involve using technology, is to take breaks from technology. I mean, that's something I always recommend. <laughs> you know from this podcast and the website, a lot of what I've recommended is taking breaks from technology. But during this period, it's become very easy. I would say perhaps there are even more temptations or pulls towards technology than before in many ways whether it be because of anxiety about the news and feeling more of a pull than ever to check the news. And I'll admit, I have been guilty of that. Before the pandemic, I had really good news checking habits. And they have, let me say this, I've had to rework my habits <laughs> around news checking. If you're working from home all the time, the technology may just be that much more available to you and call out to you. And it may not just be the computer and the devices, but also the television and, and other the stereo system, which you wouldn't have had as a temptation at your workplace. So I know from speaking with many people that technology has been much more of a, a pull, a distraction, something that is hard to stay away from 
while at home, also just because of the lack of boundaries between work and home when everyone's working from home. So I'd suggest really making an effort, doubling down on your efforts to take breaks from technology. I'll say all the things I've said before, which is no phone in the bedroom, try to do you know, phone away, devices away, let's say an hour before bed and at least 30 minutes or an hour after you wake up, you know, let yourself eat breakfast and uh, get a shower and do some other basics before turning to the technology and, and space out some, some real breaks from technology during the day to the extent possible. I know it can be really hard to do depending on your work demands and family demands. You may have children homeschooling, remote schooling, using technology, you may not have the ability. But I just suggest being really mindful and making that intentional effort to take breaks from technology. I found that going out for walks is a really good way if I'm finding it hard to take a break at home from the tech, I can put the phone down and go for a walk and the phone is not physically on me or available during that time. So, you know, these are a bunch of suggestions. Started out dealing with loss, but all that is all relevant to everything I've said at the end because the loss triggers and brings up feelings within us. The feelings can lead to our habitual reactions to them. And the suggestions I've given are some ways to try to address those feelings in ways that are connecting with other people, which often can really help us to feel better. Just as humans, we're social beings. So I hope this is helpful to you. I hope that you stay safe and well. And I hope you come back next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin. Bye now.